Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. I'm so glad you joined me. Today we are continuing in our study in the book of Revelation, and as I mentioned, we are taking it bit by bit, as I would like to keep these relatively short, so I'm trying to cover just bit by bit as we go through this powerful book. We did the same thing with the book of Romans, and it took us quite a bit to get through that, but it was powerful as well, and so I expect to do that with this. If you would like a more thorough and faster-paced study, I do have a few series that I could recommend to you that I have done. One is Back to the Future, Discovering Jesus in the Apocalypse. That was a study of the book of Revelation. And in that one, we did that in 12 weeks. And we covered a lot of material in each lesson, but it was faster paced and we did make a farther, farther progress and went, you know, deeper into that in each lesson than what we're doing with this. I also have a couple of others that are geared to specific parts of future events. One is called Beaming at the Bema, and it is a study of the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. And then I have one called Thy Kingdom Come, which is a study of the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ when he actually comes and rules in his kingdom. Both of those are series that are individual of the, an actual revelation study, but they fit because they do cover future events that we are told about in the scripture, and I try to cover those in quite some detail. So I would recommend those three different series to you if you're interested in more study, faster paced study, or specifically honed study, you know, something that's, that's more specific a study that's more specific. But today, but today I do want to pick up our truth tidbits with the next episode. And I want to carry us from where we left off yesterday and move just a little bit farther again. As I said, we're trying to take this in tidbit form. So for right now, to start us off, I would like to read Revelation chapter 1, and I want to read verses 7 through 9. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'd like to stop there and just cover these verses today in a little more detail. So we saw how in verse 7 it testifies, John testifies, of Jesus' second coming. And in essence, uses this as a backdrop or a capsule form of all that will be developed throughout this whole book as he shows us everything that leads up to that 
and what that event means in terms of the ending and the future and eternity. So now John clarifies and we see expressly who is speaking here and who this is about. Who is this coming one? Who is the one who is coming again and every eye will see him? Now we discussed it yesterday in the last episode. We talked about it being Jesus. Jesus himself gives his own testimony and verification to it here in saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He says that he is the Alpha and the Omega. That's just the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. It would be the same thing as saying the Aleph and the Tav in Hebrew. It means the first, the first, the foremost, and the last, or the finality, the one who finishes everything. He is actually called the first and the last, and we will see that also in Revelation. This is talking about him being the first and the last or the final. The first and the last or the final. There is no other. It's all about him. He says he is the beginning and the end. He is the originator, the one who has brought about everything. He's the chief and the leader. He is the imminent one, the one who has the eminence. He is also the end. He is the beginning. I want to read a couple of other verses on this point about him being the beginning, the originator. The first place I want to read is John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, it says this, beginning in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him Nothing was made that was made. This is speaking of Jesus. John identifies him as the Word here in this passage. Jesus, the the Son of God, the Eternal One. Next, I want to read in Colossians chapter 1, and I want to read verses 15 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For by him, speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him All things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He is the beginning, the originator, the one who caused and brought about all, the chief, the preeminent one. He is also the end. That is the Greek word telos, and it means the point that was set out for, 
or the goal or aim that all things were pointing to. He is the end that has been attained or the consummation, the ultimate fulfillment and conclusion, the one who finished it all. He then says, declaring himself to be the great I am. He is God the Son, Yahweh, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. We just looked at that in a couple of episodes ago when we saw in verse 4 that it was speaking in that passage, that it was speaking in that passage of God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said that he and the Father are one. He is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus makes this declaration. I and my Father are one. We serve a three-in-one God. We do not serve three gods. We serve one God who is expressed himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is Echad, the united God, the singular God who is united in his diversity, in his persons, and yet they are one. He says he is the Almighty. In the Old Testament, that was the mighty God it was also, it could include El Shaddai, the God who could do miracles, the sovereign Lord. He is the all-powerful, omnipotent one, the sovereign one, the all-ruling God, all-ruling. He is the one we've already seen earlier in Revelation chapter 1 in an earlier episode where Jesus Christ is Lord, where Jesus Christ is the ruler over the kings of the earth in verse 5. So he is the Almighty, the all-ruling one. In verse 9, John verifies his authorship and his circumstances when he received this apocalypse, this revelation this unveiling that God gave to him. This is John the Apostle. He is the same as John the Disciple, one of Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. This is that John. He is also the same as some would refer to as John the Elder. It is the same John. He's the brother of James, and was the son of Zebedee and Salome. He says that he is a fellow, he is a brother of his audience, meaning the church. He is one member of the church body. He is a brother to the rest of the family of God. He says he is a companion, and that is a co-participant, or a partner, a co-partner, a sharer, one who is jointly participating in this together with them. It's used only three other times in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 11, verse 17, which we covered in quite a bit of depth in our 
Romans study as we went through in Truth Tidbits several episodes ago. In Romans chapter 11, verse 17, it's used of Paul speaking of the sharing of Gentiles in joint participation in the root of the one olive tree grafted in together with the believing Jews. So it's one olive tree composed of the believing Jews and the believing Gentiles who've been grafted in and all are sharing equally and all are sharing together of the same root who is Jesus Christ. Then it's used in 1 Corinthians 9.23 about sharing in evangelism and the goal being the salvation of souls. And then it's used in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7 of the sharing of God's grace in suffering and defense of the gospel. So John is identifying and using this same Greek word to speak of how he is a companion, a co-sharer, a joint participant with them. He says he's a sharer in or a companion in tribulation. That, that word is talking about pressure, distressing circumstances and afflictions. It can be more severe. It can be less severe, but it is speaking of various types of tribulations in this world, pressures and distress that we face and afflictions. He says he's a sharer or a companion and a joint participant in the kingdom, meaning the new life, the eternal life of the Christian faith and the Christian walk. And he says he is a companion and a co-laborer, a co-sharer in the patience, meaning the patient endurance or awaiting, enduring while we wait, while we also at the same time are adhering to that belief with confident expectation of it, enduring constantly. And so this John, the co-laborer, the companion with them, the brother in Christ with them, is on the Isle of Patmos, he tells us. Now this island is where he was sent as punishment for the gospel's sake. Some believe that John had at first been thrown into a pot of boiling oil as a way to try to kill him. And he escaped that, did not die, did not suffer for it. And that would have been only miraculously because God was not finished with him. But Domitian later sends him to this island as punishment for the gospel's sake. Patmos was a rugged and bare island in the Asian Sea of the Mediterranean. It was about seven and a half to ten miles long and about six miles wide at its peaks, at its outermost points. It was a treeless terrain and a rocky terrain. It was a penal island where Rome would banish exiles. In essence, they were banishing them there to fend for themselves and die. John was exiled there in 95 AD by Domitian, according to our early church fathers' recordings. Several of them testified that. 
And in 96 AD, he was returned to Ephesus under the reign of Nerva. John testifies to us that this is exactly where he was, so we know that it was written in 95 AD, and he testifies why he was there. It was because of the gospel's sake that he had been banished there. He says it was for or on account of the cause being that he was one who was testifying of the Logos of God, the word of the living God, together with the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was giving evidence as witness that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Logos. Jesus was the fulfillment. In other words, he was connecting the puzzle pieces all together. He was connecting the dots from the Old Testament to Jesus. He was showing how the Torah had prophesied about Jesus, had spoken symbolically, prophetically, and in principle or direct quotation about Jesus, that Jesus would come, Jesus would fulfill Genesis 22, given by the Father as the substitute ram to die in our place. He was connecting the dots that Jesus was the Passover lamb that would deliver us from death and and transform us and bring us into his kingdom of light and bring us out of the bondage of sin and Egypt. He was testifying that Jesus was the serpent on the pole that Moses lifted up that was typifying what would happen to Jesus at a later time. He testified of Jesus being the fulfillment of the Psalms and the prophetic words of David. He testified of Jesus being the suffering servant that Isaiah spoke about and so many of the other prophetic words. And so John was testifying of the word of God and showing the evidence from the word of God that Jesus was the fulfillment, that Jesus is the Messiah. And that stirred up a lot of people because they didn't want to hear the truth. And so Rome had him banished to this Isle of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. But I want to read a couple of places as we close this particular session, as we draw to a close here for today's message, I want to read a couple of ending passages to you because John was living proof of being persecuted in that day for the gospel's sake. All of the apostles had suffered persecution Much of the early church was enduring persecution, especially at the time that the book of Revelation was written and at the time that John's epistles and his gospel were written at the same time. So John was very familiar with this. And it's interesting that in John's gospel, he writes a good bit about this in several chapters and in several of the verses in his gospel. He is very bold about this. And he records much of Jesus' words about this for us to read. And so I'd like to close this episode by reading just a few of those places. 
First, I want to read in John chapter 15, verse 18 through 27. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So here John records for us, not long before he writes the book of Revelation, to be exact, because he wrote his gospel and all of his epistles, within five or so years of writing the book of Revelation, just a few years before that. So John is remembering these words. Perhaps he had written them down as he was following Jesus all through those years so that he would preserve Jesus' teachings. But he's writing down Jesus' words here. And John remembers, and John is one who brings this out that he knew that they were going to hate him because they hated Jesus first. And a servant is not greater than his master. But I do want to close with this final verse because Jesus also gave them this verse as a closing verse almost before he delivered his high priestly prayer and then went to the garden and was arrested and betrayed and crucified. And this is one of the last things that he said with them and to them before the, all of that happened. He says to them these words in John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John knew that he was suffering because of Jesus and that Jesus was worthy of it. But he also knew that he could have peace because Jesus overcame the world. And because of that, his peace rested in Jesus, who is also called in another place, the Prince of Peace. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes as we continue reading this year. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.